All right, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Thank you all for, for all of you who prayed for me. I did have surgery on Monday, and right now I've got drains sticking out of my side. That's why I'm wearing jeans or in my pockets right now. And uh, you know what? There's nowhere else I was going to be this morning but here. I told Joshua, if I pass out, just get up here and finish the message. <laughs> all right. First John, let's open the word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. Again, I pray if anybody's here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said. So if you were here last week, we saw the order in the court. I I titled the message, and we saw that clear picture of Judgment Day that's coming for those that do not know the Lord. And thankfully for us, if you know the Lord, we've been forgiven. Because our Heavenly Father is the judge. Jesus is the defense attorney. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And the one difference is that this defense attorney does not try to pretend like we didn't do anything wrong. He actually admits that we have fallen short, and that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. How many sinners we got in the room? Raise your hand. Okay, we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And you know what? Praise God by His grace that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not die for you because you're perfect. He died for you while you were a sinner, knowing everything about you. He knows you best, every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done, and He loves you most. He is a gracious God. Amen? And so, When we stand before the judge, guilty, the good news is that Jesus stepped forward and paid the price for us. And we're going to commemorate that as we take communion later. This letter was written by John the Apostle. No doubt you could say that he's the one that knew Jesus best of anybody on the planet at this point. Uh, We believe that by the time John writes this letter, all the other apostles have been martyred. And now John is hearing that people are teaching false things about the Messiah that he knows. See, John spent three years in ministry with the Lord. He walked with Jesus. He saw him heal the lepers and heal the lame. He saw him, you know, feed 5,000 fish, 5,000 with, with fish and, and bread from a boy's lunch. He, he saw Jesus transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw that the Lord in all of his glory had his head on his Savior's chest at the Last Supper. He was there at the cross and saw Jesus die in our place. And then he saw him again after he had risen from the dead. And so when people were coming out and making false claims about Jesus, you can imagine how fired up John would be about that. See, these people, the Gnostics specifically in this case, but were teaching a false gospel that they had some new revelation from God that, that overtook anything else anybody else had been taught, and you needed to listen to them. And that's what every single cult has done since. Joseph Smith is a false teacher who claims that he has a new revelation from God, and sadly, there's all the Mormons that are following after that false gospel, and we love the Mormons. Can I get an amen? And we want to see them saved, but Joseph Smith is a false prophet. So is Charles Taze Russell, uh, the church, uh, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And we can go down the list and all of them say, I got a special word from God that corrects the word that we already had. Guys, the Bible tells us that if anybody else comes with another gospel, even an angel, don't believe them. Amen? So this began all the way back. 
here just 40 years or so after Jesus had gone back into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, and they taught, we have a special message from God. And they had two things that they taught, two extremes. One was that your flesh and your spirit are two separate things. So if you give your life to the Lord, you can live however you want. Because the flesh is evil anyway. Does that sound like a man-centered gospel or what? Here's your get out of hell free card. Now go live like the devil for the rest of your life. And that's okay. Well, we know the word of God doesn't teach that. And then secondly, they taught that you could actually become sinless. There were those among the Gnostics. Gnostic just means knowledge. And they taught that you could become perfect where you didn't sin anymore. And we also know that's not true. They would even wound their flesh. They would stick things in their flesh to punish their flesh. So these things were the things that were being taught when John steps up and speaks the truth into that situation. Now, he starts off I'll read verses one and two, and I'll give you the outline for three through six. He says, my little children, I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only, not ours only, but also the whole world. There are those who teach that Jesus only died for some. And you take him to this verse, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, we've seen that exhortation. We've seen the, the picture of that trial that takes place, that Jesus is the one that will pay the price for us. And now, this morning, here's my question for all of you. None of you are here by chance. You're all here by divine appointment. Some of you came for the tacos. You're going to get some Jesus first. Amen? <laughs> and, here's, and here's the question. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Not, not do you know about him? Not do you have a, an understanding of who he was in history, but do you have a relationship with him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Are you born again? Did the spirit of the living God live inside of you? We only have a couple of points. The true Christian faith is more than knowing about him. By the way, if you didn't get an outline, raise your hand, we'll get you one. True Christian faith is far more than knowing about him. It's knowing him in an intimate and a deep way, and it's walking in fellowship with him. And if we know him, here's the two points. Number one, we will obey him. Now, does that mean we're sinless? What's the answer? But as Christians, while we're not sinless, we should sin less. Amen? And the way we look at our sin should radically change. We don't want to make excuses for it. We're not trying to find loopholes to continue on our sinful behavior and still go to heaven. We don't try to tiptoe as far, you know, as far out on the ledge as we can and still have eternal life. When you fall in love with the Lord, you hate your sin. Amen? You don't make excuses for it. You hate it. And we're going to see, if you truly know him, we'll obey him. It says in John 14... If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and make no excuses for your sin. A faith that doesn't change you is a faith that cannot save you. You know, I've done, I don't know, 200 to 250 funerals, and I've never done one where the people did not think the person who died was in heaven. And I get that because that's our hope for everyone. But often they'll point back to when somebody was seven years old that they walked an aisle and prayed a prayer but the rest of their life, they completely 
uh, rejected God, had nothing to do with God, wanted no part of him, were not in fellowship with him. Their life bore zero fruit, but they point back to that day. And I understand why they do, because there's always a hope that those we love are in heaven. Amen? That being said, we don't want to point to the day that we prayed the prayer, although that's a wonderful day. That's a glorious day if it's real. You know what we want to point to? Every day after that. Did everything change? Did my life change? Did my priorities change? Did my passions change? Was I a different person than the person I was before? See, before you came to know Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you gave your life to the Lord, you're no longer dead. You're alive in Christ. And that it should be just as radical a difference as if we put a corpse over here and a living person over here. That's who I used to be, and that's who I am now. So guys, we need to look at our lives, and our lives need to be different than they were before we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And every day of that should be evidence. So if we truly know him, we'll obey him. If we truly know him, point number two, we'll abide in him. It says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. When we abide, it's not temporarily being linked to Jesus. The vine and the branches, that branch was grafted into the vine and that's the only reason it could bear fruit. The Bible says, by your fruit, they shall know you. And so what happens when you pull that, that branch out of, the, out of the vine? It becomes a dead stick, and they gather them up, and they cast them in the fire. So as believers, we're abiding in him, we're grafted into Jesus, and our lives should be bearing fruit until the day that we die. Amen? So we need to not only obey him, but abide in him. I love one of the words for abide means to make myself at home. You know, the relationship with the Lord we have shouldn't be something where we run in, we make small contact and we run out. I think of the, my, our relationship with the Lord should be like more like it's a rainy day outside and we're, we're in the Lord's presence, sitting by the fire on his lap in the recliner with our head on his chest, telling him that we love him and allowing him to minister to us. See, that's what it means to abide. Amen? He's not a faraway, distant God. May we draw near to him. Disobedience is love for self, placing our fleshy desires above the word of God. And obedience is love for God, and it is the highest form of worship. So let's turn there, if you haven't already, again to 1 John chapter 2, beginning there in verse 3. Do you know him? If we truly know him, we will obey him. Verse 3. Now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The word by this is a transitional phrase used by John to introduce a new set of, of tests, tests that verify that we have a genuine relationship with God. So we already saw that Jesus is the defense attorney. He's willing to pay the price for you. Salvation is offered universally and must be accepted individually. So we see that we're all sinners. The price has been paid. Jesus' death on the cross is the answer. He's the only way to heaven. So we know this is the truth. And this is how we have a relationship with God. And now he's going to ask them, do you have a relationship? Now that you know how to have a relationship with God, do you have a relationship? Now that you know how to know him, do you know him? Do you have intimate fellowship? Again, no, 
not tasks being laid out as a road to earn salvation, but tests verifying that they've already been saved. He's not going to say, well, now that we know, here's the 57 things you have to do. Get out your piece of paper and line them out, and you better check them off your, your want-to-go-to-heaven bucket list, and you got to fill those things out. That's not what he's going to say at all. He's just going to give us a test to say, is this you? Because if you know him, this will describe your life. If you know the Lord, this is how you will view sin. If you know the Lord, this is how you will worship him. If you know the Lord, this is how you will live your life. Now, works don't save us, but good works are fruit that we've been saved. Amen? Those are two totally separate things. You're not trying to earn heaven because you can't. You can't be good enough to get into heaven apart from the cross of Calvary. It's impossible. So the truth that he's laying out for them here is a reminder of what it means to truly know the Lord. Again, it's not fruit unto salvation, but the fruit of salvation. By this. By what? It says, we know that we know. I love this. We know that we know him. Do you know that you know him? If there's any doubt in your mind about whether or not you know Jesus Christ, don't leave here without him. Amen? This is the only thing that matters when you close your eyes on earth. Nothing matters but what have you done with God's son. Amen? Everybody is going to live forever. It's just a matter of where? Eternity, smoking or non-smoking. Amen? We want to be in heaven. We want to be in the presence of Almighty God. We want to be, in a, to, to be with the one that we love and we know. The word there, know, is gnosko, which means to know by experience, not just knowing about him or, or knowing a concept, but having experienced it firsthand. My dad, my dad was really good for, my dad's in heaven, and uh, how many guys know who J. Vernon McGee is, the Bible bus? So my dad was good friends with J. Vernon McGee, and they were on a board together at what used to be L.A. Baptist College, which is now Master's College, and I met J. Vernon McGee as a kid a few times, and I know a lot about J. Vernon McGee, and I still listen to him on the radio, but you know what? I don't know him like I know my dad, and see, a lot of us, we know about the Lord. We know what the Bible teaches. We can, we can give you all the theological positions. Do you know there's a people, there are people on this planet that have THDs in theology and will spend 40 years studying theology and will go to hell because they don't know the Lord? Guys, it's not enough to know about him. We need to know him. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you have, do you have a relationship with him? Again, knowing by experience. It literally means you've tested it and you know it for sure. You know, how do you know that that chair is going to hold you up? Well, you didn't know until you sat down in it. And now that you've sat in it, you know, I can sit in this chair and it will hold me up. Guys, that it's not knowing about God, but it's having set in him, having been close to him, having knowledge of him, having a relationship with him. I don't know about God. We know him. The tense word there is in the present tense. It means to continually perceive something by, experience, by, by experiencing it, knowing him right now, knowing him today and every single day. Again, don't just look back to the day you profess Christ and praise God for that day if it was real. There are a lot of people that we know the parable of the sower, right? The seed's thrown and some of it lands on hard ground. 
and, it, and what happens? The birds come and pick it up. Some of it lands in shallow ground and it starts to grow, but then, you know, the torment comes and it gets blown away. Then there's those that are choked off amongst the thorns, the things of the world. And see, none of those are pictures of people that have been saved. Those are people that have heard the word and for a moment they've received it. But the truth that it's really taken root is their life bears fruit. And so by your fruit, they shall know you. And again, not by your perfection, because then we'd all be going to hell, amen? But by our fruit. By this, we have firsthand experience that assures us that we really know him. By this, we know that we know him. So what is it? Because we keep his commandments. The reference here is to more than just the 10 commandments, but the whole counsel of God. The Lord says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, why does God, why does God give us commandments? Is it so we'll jump through hoops for him and, and show him that we love him? Does he give us these commandments to make us prove that we're worthy of him? That's not it at all. You know why he gives you commandments? The same reason you give your children rules. Why do we do it? Because we love them. Because we want to keep them from harm. Amen? So this book is a love letter, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? So God gave you this so you can open it, read it, and obey it, not so he can keep you from fun, so he can keep you from harm, so you can have intimate fellowship with him. One of the verses could be, thou shalt not play in the freeway, because God knows you'll get hit by a bus, and he doesn't want you to die, Amen. I don't like this. He's a restrictive God, and I like playing in the freeway. Okay, have fun for a minute. Amen? But that's what the Word of God is. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, wait a minute. Do you know that's playing on the freeway? Amen? You're outside of God's will. You're living in open rebellion against Almighty God. And we go, we're all going, well, I'm not an adulterer. I'm, I'm pretty safe. Thou shalt not lie. Ever exaggerate? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now what? Now all the, go through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt no other gods before me, no graven image. Honor your mother and father. Shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. See, all of these are things and the entire counsel of God is there so that we can have a fruitful and abundant life as we walk in obedience to him. Because guys, when we obey him, it's a blessing. Amen? Obedience is the ability to just surrender your life to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to walk in obedience to what you've commanded me because I know that you love me. God's word is his authoritative prescription for life and an abundant life. Have you ever noticed people that are in love with the Lord and are walking with the Lord and, and have a passion for the things of God? That they have joy. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean their lives are perfect. As a matter of fact, we're guaranteed that they won't be. But the difference is that if you're trying to find happiness in the things of this world, it will all pass away. And happiness is only when everything's perfect. And that's rare, if ever. Amen? But the joy of the Lord continues on when you have an eternal perspective, when you're sitting in the lap of the Savior, when you have intimate fellowship with the King of Kings. Even when your 28-year-old son goes to heaven, you still have joy because you understand that God is faithful and heaven is better. Amen? And see, it's the joy of the Lord, and my heart breaks because so many people are missing out on the joy of the Lord, seeking the happiness of this world. And Satan is a liar, and he promises you happiness, and he promises you peace, and he delivers pain and suffering. Amen? He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. 
So God gives us his commandments for a reason. I've people say to, I've had people say to me, well, I don't want to read the Bible because then I'm more accountable to what's in the Bible. <laughs> I remember a young man telling me that. Oh, I don't want to be accountable. I can claim ignorance. I said, let me ask you a question. If you don't look at the, the speed limit signs and you drive whatever speed you feel like and you get pulled over, does, hey, I didn't know there were signs and I didn't read them. Does that help? Because the reality is you're accountable whether you read it or not. And God gave us his word so we can have life and life more abundant. I want to tell you something. When you spend time in the word of God, you get to know the God of the word better. And to know him better is to love him more. And having intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe changes everything. It changes all those things you fret about, all that fear that you struggle with, all those worries. Our God is greater. Our God is faithful. Guys, we're going to close our eyes on earth and see him and open him up in glory. We're going to spend an eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we don't need to panic at the gas pump. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we don't need to panic about what's going on in the world around us because our God is faithful. Lord, keep there, keep my commandments, those who keep his commandments, is to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard to observe. So by this we know that we truly know him if we carefully attend to and guard and faithfully obey God's authoritative prescription for this life. Don't look for loopholes. People ask me that, well, but, 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 but. I know what the word of God says, but. As soon as you say that, you're already wrong. Can I get an amen? I know what the word of God says, but here's my unique circumstances and can't I just do this anyway, and won't God just forgive me? And that's the lie of the devil, because he'll tell you that every time, won't he? Go ahead and do it. God will forgive you. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. It's all over the Bible. We don't want to listen. See, Satan's a great theologian. He knows what the Word of God says. Going to hell. Can I get an amen? Why? Because it's not enough to know about the Word. We need to live it. It needs to become a part of us. We need, to be, we need to open up the word of God and, and when we read it, have nothing but a desire to obey it because we know it's what's best for us. We serve a faithful God who wrote it down for us. My life's a mess. You know whose life isn't a mess? Somebody who opens the Bible, reads it, and obeys it. Amen? Open it, read it, obey it. Just having it by your nightstand's not gonna get it. Amen? Open it, read it, obey it. It's not just to open it. You gotta read it. And it's not enough just to read it. Well, you've read it, now go out and live it. Believe what the word of God says. See, true salvation will always result in changed behavior. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not dwell within you without having an impact on you. See, here's what happened. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead as a doornail. You're spiritually dead. You could only live according to your ungodly nature. Sin for you was pleasurable. Why? Because you lived for it and you had no conviction. Now, the Holy Spirit can convict you before you're saved. We call him our conscience. He lives with us. And some people will start to recognize, you know, this lifestyle is a mess. There's something missing. I don't know what it is. And when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit goes from being with you to being in you. And he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And he is the helper and the comforter, but he also convicts us of sin. And so nobody can say truthfully that I used to be dead and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, but I changed nothing. Because the Holy Spirit will not tolerate that. Amen? 
How many of you know that's true when you sin, that the Holy Spirit's getting up all over you? Can I get an amen to that? Holy Spirit is just, you know, <laughs> head slaps coming, amen? He just brings conviction. You're getting ready to say something. Holy Spirit's like, don't, don't, don't. Am I the only one? Holy Spirit is convicting you. He's making a way of escape in the meantime. Don't say it. Phone rings. You can get out of this conversation. Don't say it. But it's funny, though. It's funny. And they're going to all laugh. I'm tearing this poor guy down, but it's going to be. Don't say it. Phone's ringing. I'm making a way of escape. What are you going to do? Guys, is that every day for everybody or what? (laughs) The enemy's drawing us away from what God has for us, which is what is best. Amen? And the Holy Spirit living inside of you. By the way, if you're convicted about sin, hallelujah, hallelujah, and hallelujah, because that is confirmation that you've been saved. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1 is a down payment on heaven. The fact that you're convicted when you sin, the fact that you're grieved when you even think about it, the fact that you're struggling with sin is a sign that you know the Lord, because if you didn't know the Lord, you wouldn't struggle with it. You'd just, just jump headlong into it. Amen? Because a lot of people say, well, Pastor Dave, I'm a Christian, but I'm still struggling. Well, so are all of us to some degree. Amen? It's a daily dying to the flesh, putting that flesh to death, to attend to carefully, to guard, to observe the word of God. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you will not be silent towards your sin. He will bring heavy conviction. You know what helps us to live a more holy life? You know what helps us and empowers us to be bold witnesses? The Bible doesn't only talk about the Holy Spirit being with you or in you. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. So there's three positions where the Holy Spirit can have in everyone's life. He's with the world, convict, you know, they, it's their conscience, some level of conviction. But then you get saved, Holy Spirit comes in you. Jesus says in Luke to the apostles, I breathe the Holy Spirit in you, go and wait, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. So it's subsequent to salvation. You can call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. As my dad said, call it whatever you want, just get it. Amen? And what happens is, remember Peter cursing and saying he did not know the Lord when Jesus was about to be crucified. He denied him. Forty days later, Peter stands up in front of a crowd, many of the same people, Preaches with boldness, and 3,000 people got saved. What happened to Peter? Holy Spirit came upon him. Acts chapter 2. Amen? And so we as believers, we need to continually pray for that. Why do we keep praying for it? Because we leak. Amen? (laughs) Fill us afresh, Lord. Walk in in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in us at salvation Again, sin, no conviction if there's been no true conversion. If you're living in open sin and you're not convicted about it, you need to get saved. Didn't hear one amen in the room on that one. If you are living in open rebellion against God and you are not convicted by it, you're not saved. Because you would be convicted if if the Holy Spirit's in you, he will convict you. Amen? So praise God for conviction. Holy Spirit in you, conviction over sin, a heart to know God's word and walk in faithful obedience to it. You know what? I love when people get saved. And I love when, as my dad would say, they get saved real good. (laughs) 
And there's some examples in this room of people that have gotten saved here. And your life radically changed. And when we talk, we talk about the fact that my life is so radically different than it used to be. And, I, and, and all that other stuff. And I used to doubt and question, and I don't. And, I have, and now I share my faith, and my life is different. And Jesus is the priority, and he's the passion of my life. And you know what, guys? There's nothing greater than to see someone who was once dead repenting and surrendering their life to the Lord and seeing that God gets a hold of them, and they get saved real good, and their life is being fruitful. Not that they're not sinning daily like we do. Not that they don't have struggles in their life. But boy, it's evident when that happens. There's no conviction over sin, no hunger to know God's word. God changes our heart at conversion and writes it on our heart. If there's no conviction, if there's no change of heart, if there's no evidence of a changed life, if you're not living a life marked by obedience, one's claim of conversion should fairly be challenged. It says in Titus, they profess to know God, but their works, they deny him. In their works, they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified, for every good work. It says in 2 Timothy, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. See, true salvation will provide a changed life. What about the change? Are you just a poser? Are you just a pretend Christian? Do you just show up to church because you've got a girl here you want to date? We're going to find you out, bro. <laughs> coming for you. If you're here for the wrong motive, I'm just glad you're here because God's word doesn't return void. Amen. We want you here. We want everybody here. I don't care if you come for the wrong motive, just come on down. If you're coming for tacos, come on down. We'll have tacos every week if you'll come to church. <laughs> we want you here. But there needs to be a change. Where's the change? A life of convictionless disobedience should cause us to examine our hearts, question our salvation. If we truly love him, it will show. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A changed life a heart convicted by sin, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, serves not only as a testimony to the lost, but as a source of assurance to the believer. Again, thank you, Lord, for conviction. All who truly believe will live transformed lives that reflect the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be struggles between the Spirit and the flesh, but there will be a change. And praise God for that. Amen? Verse 4. He who says, I know him, and do not, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So verse 3, he says, this is how we know him, if we keep his commandments. And he says, anybody who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So it's a clear contrast. Verse 3 says, this is what a believer looks like, and this is what a poser looks like. This is what a, a, someone who says they're a Christian looks like, but isn't. They say one thing, but they do another. Now, all of us are panicking a little bit right now because all of us have times when we say one thing and do another. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, we, wait a minute. I did that last week. Am I not saved? Here's the key. The real proof of one's salvation it's not just in our words, but it's in our actions. And you know that you're saved when you do that contradictory thing and you are convicted by it. Amen? As soon as you do it, you're like, oh, I sin every day. I've been a pastor for 34 years. I've been a Christian for 55 years. 
And I sin every day. Why? Because it includes your thought life. It includes everything. Just a moment. It just takes a moment. Amen? And I'm not saying that's okay. And we should desire to live holy and set apart lives. But what, I will tell you this with, with complete assurance. I hate my sin. Amen? I hate it. I want no part of it. You've heard the, the kind of the credo that God gave me a couple years ago. It's holiness for me, grace for everyone else. And what that means is every morning I wake up and I say, Lord, I want to live in the center of your will. I don't want to have one area of compromise today. I want to be your man completely. Help me, Lord, to honor you. Bring divine appointments. Please, Lord, I pray. Help me to put that flesh to death when that temptation comes. Give me victory today to walk in the center of your will. And at the same time, when I look at other people, I want to have grace for everyone else. I want to treat everyone else with the grace of God and see people through the eyes of Christ. And too often, it's just the opposite. People want grace for me and holiness for everyone else. They want, every, they want all the grace, and then they want to examine everyone else's life. By the way, I got enough sin in my own life to worry about yours. Amen? At the same time, we want to, again, if you're here, we want to hold you accountable. The Gnostics made claims that this deeper truth meant, I can believe in the Lord and live like the devil, and it won't matter. And that's what John's addressing here. He says, look, if you say you know him and do not keep his commandments, you're a liar. So these whole, all these Gnostics that were running around and just living for the world, he was correcting them. But we live in a time that that's still true today. There are people that are professing Christians that were upset about Roe v. Wade being turned over. And I'm like, if you're upset about that, you need to get saved. Praise God for for babies that are going, whose lives are going to be saved because of this. Amen? And people are, are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I can't be controversial. You know what? Let's be controversial about the truth, and let's be unashamed of the gospel, and let's speak it with boldness. Can I get amen to that? We need to, we need to not be so timid about the truth and scared half to death that people are glad that babies, uh, they're upset because babies are going to live. Boy, how far away from God do you need to be for that? Lord, help us. Amen? We see Jesus address this issue that their words are one thing and their actions are another. It's in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, it's not enough to call yourself a Christian. I had a coworker years ago who told me that, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I was born in a Christian nation. And you know, it's it's like the size of my foot. I had no control over that. And I had no control over the fact that I'm a Christian. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And that, and I, this is back when I, long before I was a pastor, I was like, I was in high school. I was working at 7-Eleven. Don't thank heaven for 7-Eleven. I met my wife there. So it's a good thing. (laughs) But he was telling me this, this guy was in his forties and he just kept telling me, well, no, I'm a Christian. I go, okay, what have you done with God's son? Where are you at with Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sin? Have you realized that you're a sinner? Have you repented? Are you born again? Does the spirit of living God live inside of you? Well, I'm just sure that if if Jesus is God, I'll be okay. No, you won't. And if you're here this morning, you think because I've gone to church and maybe your spouse is saved and maybe you've been around it, maybe your family is saved. But guys, it has to go beyond mom and dad's faith to your own. It's got to go beyond your spouse's faith to your own. God doesn't have any grandchildren, amen? Amen. You must give your life to the Lord. 
You must come to know him in a personal way. I read this anonymous quote. I like it. It says, it is not what we eat, but what we digest that makes us strong. It's not what we gain, but what we save that makes us rich. It's not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learned. And it's not what we profess, but what we practice that makes us Christians. See, it's not enough to believe in Jesus. The demons believe and tremble. Amen? The Greek tense here is saying, I have known and continue to know, as I continually am not keeping his commandments. A person who claims to know God, but lives a life in direct opposition to his word, then he says there is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The direct contradiction to the false teaching of the Gnostics, that as long as you believe in your head, it didn't matter what you do in your flesh. The Mormons don't come to my house anymore, but when they did, I had, I had two gals that came one time. Urson was there working on my house, and we met him out in the driveway. He was talking to her, and I came out. He goes, oh, that's my pastor. And I came out, and I go, hey, uh, you guys are Mormons. I said, oh, okay. And we started talking, and, oh, and they, my wife was, in, uh, was away at the time, like, oh, can we come in and make you a meal and clean your house? And, and see, they love to do good works, and, and they're very kind people that way. I've always said I'd love to live in a neighborhood full of Mormons because no one would steal my stuff, and I'd have a great mission field. Amen? But... But as we started talking, and as I started pointing them to Jesus and to the false prophet that Joseph Smith is, they said to me, we came here to preach to you. We didn't come here for you to preach to us. I said, well, then you came to the wrong house. But she said, you, you just need to pray that your bosom will be warmed if Joseph Smith is a true prophet. I said, I can eat a chili dog and that'll happen. Amen? <laughs> I don't need to pray about whether or not Joseph Smith is a true prophet because I know the true King of kings and Lord of lords. And because I know him, I know the counterfeit when I see it. My, the prophet I served didn't have 35 wives. It wasn't a fairy tale writer who died in a gunfight. Can I get an amen to that? My God created all things, the Alpha and the Omega. Joseph Smith's bones are in the ground. Jesus Christ is a risen living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death. Amen. See, it's a lie when you put your faith in anything else. It's a lie when you don't keep his commandments. It's a lie when you trust the words of a, a, come, a, a, late, a, you know, a prophet that comes along with a new message. The word there, liar, is one who breaks faith, a false and faithless man. They believe one way and live another. They, to be saved, it's based on your beliefs, but we need to live a life of one who does not, if you live a life of one who does not obey, you don't know the Lord. It's interesting they call him a liar because who's the truth? Jesus. There you go. So Jesus, it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus is the truth. So when we walk in the truth, we're walking with Jesus. And when we're walking contrary to Jesus, we're walking in a lie. Who's the father of lies? So when you tell a lie, you're being Satan-like. And when you tell the truth, you're being Christ-like. Remember that the next time you do your taxes. Amen? Well, the government just wastes my money anyway, guys. Let's honor the Lord. It says the truth is not in him. I love that. The truth is not in him. You know who the, Jesus is not in him. Because Jesus is the truth. If someone does not keep his commandments, then Jesus is not in him. The truth doesn't dwell in him. And he is a liar. He is outside of God's will. He doesn't know the Lord. 
The truth is so certain that if one does not live a life marked by obedience, their claim of knowledge of God, again, can be fairly challenged. True faith is more than just knowing about him, but living a life, again, affected by him. It's a full surrender of your life, your heart and your will, making him not just Savior, but Lord. See, it's not good enough just to have him save you from hellfire. It's not good enough just to have that get out of hell free card in your wallet. Guys, if you love the Lord, he's, Jesus Christ should be your best friend. The best thing I can do for my wife is love Jesus more than I love her. Because then I will love her faithfully. Amen? The best thing I can do for my kids is love the Lord more than I love my kids. Now look, guys, it's okay. we, we should love our kids. It's supernatural how much we love our kids. Amen? You want to find, find out, Mama Bear, just pick on someone's kid and see what's up. Can I get an amen to that? 98-pound woman will come out like a grizzly bear. Okay? We love our kids, but you know what? We need to love Jesus more than we love our kids. Amen? We love Jesus more than we love our kids. You know what? It makes us good moms and good dads. Amen? We need to give him his rightful place on the throne of our life. And again, there may be some here missing heaven by 18 inches. What I mean by that, when I usually do prison ministry, I used to talk about this, that some of you guys are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. See, you know him here, but you haven't surrendered your life to him here. You know about the Lord, but you don't know him. It's not enough to believe that God exists. The demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to have read your Bible and believe that parts of it are true. It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to even be baptized. Guys, it's not enough to just know about God. It's one thing to know about him. It's another thing to surrender your life to him. It's one thing for you to say, I want him to be my savior. And that's another thing to make him the Lord. Because when he's the Lord, he, somebody's on the throne of your life. It's you or it's Jesus. Either you're on the throne and Jesus isn't welcome, or the Lord's at the throne and we are seated by the throne worshiping him. Do you know him? It must go beyond knowing about him to knowing him. So number one, do you know him? If we truly know him, we will obey him. Number two, we will abide in him. It says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. It says, whoever keeps his word Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. In direct contrast to verse 4, those who walk in disobedience don't know him, but those who walk in faithful obedience to his word not only are doers of the word, but they show that they know God. It reveals their deep love for him. The love of God, again, is shown in love for God. See, when, when you're walking with the Lord and you have intimate fellowship with him, you know what's going to happen? You're going to become more like him. Now, we will never be him, but when he ascended into heaven, who did he leave with us? The Holy Spirit, who came to live inside of us. So God dwells in you, but you're not God. Don't ever make that mistake, amen? You know, don't be like one of these celebrities standing on, out by trees saying, I am God. No, you're not. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God. You're not him, amen? But that being said, he does live inside of us. And if you're born again, he dwells within you. It says, is perfected in him. The word perfected there is accomplished. Our obedience is a reflection not only of our knowing God, but our deep love for God. See, when we sin, who are we really harming? What's the answer? Ourselves and who else? The Lord. See, when I sin, I am most grieved that I'm sinning against God. I'm second most grieved that I'm sinning against the person that maybe I have sinned against. And I'm third most grieved that 
I have sinned for myself. But my first grief comes knowing that I have sinned against the God who loves me. The God who loved me so much he'd rather die than live without me. The one who went to the cross for me. The one who adopted me into his family and calls me his son. And then I go out and disobey his word and break his heart. Placing immediate Disobedience is, is defined this way. And again, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14 says, he who has, has, who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will dis, disclose myself to him. Do you know the more that you obey the Lord, the better you get to know him? Did you know that? That's biblical. The more you obey the Lord, the better you get to know him. As we obey him, we draw closer to him. Now, disobedience is love of self, and it's placing our fleshly desires above the word of God. When we disobey, we're saying, what I want is more important than my relationship with the Lord. I am going to make the conscious choice to cheat on God right now, to disobey him, to walk away from him, and go feed my fleshly desire that Satan is drawing me away to with a huge lie. And the Bible tells us your flesh will never be satisfied. Amen? When you give into the flesh, that works out really well, doesn't it? You wake up the next morning in the gutter. You, 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 just, you harm your marriage. You destroy your testimony at work. You're not as fit. You're, you blow your testimony with your kids. See, Satan wants you to walk away from the Lord because, look, if he can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God as long as you're here. I'll tell you my greatest fear. You ready? Here it is. Here's my greatest fear. And, 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 and this even supersedes my son going to heaven before me. My greatest fear is that I would ever do anything that would disqualify me to do the thing that God's called me to do. That is my greatest fear. When I talked to other pastors, I said, I, I, would rather be, I would rather be captured and drawn and quartered than do anything that would cause me to be disqualified to do the very thing that God has called me to do. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with all of us. Amen? And we need to put on the whole armor of God. And we need to be prepared because the wiles of the devil are coming. And, the, and we also struggle with the flesh. See, disobedience is love of self and obedience is love for God. The Bible tells us, Jesus, the Bible tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship is obedience. Our obedience, again, expresses our love for God. It says, by this we know that we are in him. Obedience is a reflection that we are in him. Again, know him, love him, abiding in him, walking with him, having intimate fellowship with him, not just knowing about him. I would dare to say, what do you think of when you wake up in the morning first? It ought to be the Lord. Amen? What do you think of when you're going to bed at night? What do you think of throughout the day? You know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And some say, well, that's impossible. And for me, I wake up in the morning with that prayer, and then I just put God on speakerphone, and I never hang up all day. So I'm driving to appointments. My wife hears me all the time. She thinks I'm crazy. I'll just be in the house going, Lord, help! What's going on, babe? I, Lord knows. Lord, help! I got to pick up the phone and call this knucklehead of a client that I've got, and... and and he's going to curse and yell and scream, and I need to be Christ-like. Lord, help. Amen. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. This is the will of God. Amen. 
Walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Don't ever hang up on him. Can I get amen to that? Know him, love him, abide in him. He is the vine and we are the branches. It's only when we're grafted into him that we bear fruit. See, we'll never bear fruit if we're trying to do this on our own. If we do our best, we'll just fail miserably. See, without him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? And when we're grafted into him, our lives will be fruitful. Our love for him is expressed in our obedience to his commandments. As we mature spiritually, see not only in our love for God and our obedience to his word, but how we relate to sin. Let me just go down this list quickly and we'll go to the last verse. A Christian no longer loves his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer brags about his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer plans to sin as he once did. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin as he once did. A Christian never fully enjoys his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer is comfortable in a a habitual sin as he once was. The Christian no longer loves sin, is the object of the sternest horror. the, The greatest horror of his life is to fall back into sin. See, I hear Christians do this sometimes, and they will talk about when they used to sin, and they will, they will brag about it or revel in it. I oh, man, you remember the party? Remember that one party we went to? And oh, wow, wow. remember that one babe we all met? About? And they'll talk like that. I'm like, you ought to be ashamed of that. Can I get an amen? Don't be bragging about the person. So when you were a dead guy, these are the things the dead guy used to do. Let that dead guy stay dead. Can I get an amen to that? We don't revel in it. We don't rejoice in it. We don't look for excuses to keep doing it. Amen? Every commandment of God is an expression of his love for us. And the more we obey, the more we experience the depths of his love flowing through us. The more we become like him. See, when we obey him, he's given us this law because he loves us. And when we walk in it, we experience a deeper, it's love in a deeper way. And we become more like him. How many want to be more like Jesus? I want to be more like Jesus. His love for us as his dear children is expressed in giving us the commandment. And our love for him as his children is expressed in obeying the commandment. Let me say that one more time. His love for us is expressed in him giving us the commandment that he knows will save us, that will protect us, that is what's best for us. That's his love for us. And our love for him is obeying the commandment that he gave us. Amen? We need to look at commandments in a different way than the world does. The Bible tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. Living a life of flesh-driven debauchery and disobedience It's not liberating, but it's bondage. When you decide to walk away from the Lord, you backslide and you decide to go back to your old way of life, you decide to listen to the enemy and you go headlong back into that nonsense, what does it do? The Bible tells us that the way the transgressor is hard. It just means that that that, that way of life is difficult. That way of life has harm coming your way. It's a mess. And here's the saddest part. People will do that and then blame God for the mess that follows when they disobeyed him. Guys, when you do wrong, it is never God's fault. It is always your fault. It is always my fault. Amen? Last verse. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If we truly know him, we will not only keep his commands, but we will reflect his character. How is that possible? You might say, I struggle with so much. How can I ever be a reflection of him? I loved, I used to have a t-shirt. If I ever find it again, it just said, be the moon. I had a picture of the moon. People walk up and go, be the moon. What does that mean? What does the moon reflect? 
And we're to be the moon, not reflect the S-U-M, but reflect the S-O-N. Amen? We want to be the moon. When we walk into the workplace, we want to be the moon. When we're in the grocery store, we want to be the moon. When we're in our neighborhood, hanging out with people, we want to be the moon. We want to reflect Jesus. See, people will know Jesus better if they see him in you. Amen? And as Christians, the worst thing we can do is call ourselves Christians and reflect him in a bad way. Amen? Christians ought to know, the world ought to know that you love them more than they know about your politics. Can I get an amen to that? We're so caught, look, we should vote, we should do all that. But the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And we need to be a reflection of the Lord. People need to see Jesus in us. Amen? I know that's a heavy call. You can't do it. It's only possible as you allow him to do it through you. As you abide, as you remain in him, again, John 15, as you abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No one can except by abiding in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him shall bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Again, abiding is not a temporary, superficial attachment for the moment, but a deep and permanent connection to the Lord. Look, here's the reality. By God's grace, I can tell you right now, I will never, ever, 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 ever look anywhere else, go anywhere else. Who else has the words of eternal life? Amen? Where else are the answers? Who else has the hope? Because I know, I've known him for 55 years. I love him more than, there, there's no words. There's nothing that can allow to be placed in between us. And you know what? Abiding and being grafted in him, having intimate fellowship with him, clinging to him. Again, we won't be easily moved by false doctrine. And then it says to walk just as he walked. Let me ask you a question. If I videotaped you at work for the next week, put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If I put you on video this week on, with your family, put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would, would you be in the word? Would you be a person of prayer? Would you be somebody who's kind and loving and gracious? Would you be sharing your faith with others? Would you be esteeming your spouse greater than yourself? Would you be raising your kids in a Christ-like home? Would you be the best worker in the building, honoring the picture that God tells us in his word, that a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, that a man will toll by the sweat of his brow the days of his life? Every man who loves Jesus ought to be working his tail off in Jesus' name and being a Christ-like example in his workplace. Amen? See, all these things are evidences. We need to walk like him. Some people thought it was corny, the WWJD. Remember those? What would Jesus do? Right? Those little bracelets. You know what? I gave them to my whole youth group. I said, the next time you're walking, you're about to say something. If, that, if you see that bracelet and it makes you think, what would Jesus do? Then it's worth it. Amen? What would Jesus have us do? The Gnostics kept telling us, live however you want. And John's telling us by the Holy Spirit, we don't live however we want. We follow the example of Jesus Christ. You know what? People have heroes. I've got one hero. His name's Jesus Christ. There's only one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. We don't put our faith in pastors. We don't put our faith in men. We, put our faith, we don't put our faith in the apostles. We don't put our faith in Mary. We don't put our faith in anybody but Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And we follow him. Those of us who truly know him, and are abiding in him, have made ourselves at home with him, and desire to have intimate fellowship with him. Because more, when you abide in him, you become more and more like him, not only obeying his commands, but reflecting his character. So in closing, 
Let me just ask one question. Is sin a big deal for you? You know, when you sin, are you grieved? Are you convicted? Are you driven to your knees almost immediately? See, the closer we are to the Lord, the less time between when we sin and when we repent. If sin is not a big deal to you, if you're still trying to find loopholes to continue in your sinful behavior, if you're trying to find a pastor or a Bible verse that will let you continue to walk in open rebellion against Almighty God, let me tell you, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to be born again. My prayer this last several days is for the people in this room. God knew you'd be here. We're all here by divine appointment. The Lord loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never openly confessed him and said, I want him to be my Savior, I'm surrendering my life to him. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I want him to be more than my Savior, but I want to make him the Lord of my life. I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you. I pray for everyone who's here this morning. If anybody doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray you would draw them by your Holy Spirit. We know it's not the words of man that save anybody. But Lord, it's your Holy Spirit drawing us unto salvation. And I pray for those that are being drawn unto you now that they would respond by faith. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Again, if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before his Father in heaven. If you deny him right now, he'll deny you on judgment day. If you've never given your life to the Lord, you're ready to surrender your life to him, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are, openly confessing your need for him. Anybody here at all, don't leave here without the Lord. The Lord loves you so much, you're about to die to live without you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's a day of salvation. You want to leave here with the promise of eternal life, to live a life set apart unto him, to know not just about him, but to know him. For those that raise their hands, I just want you to pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible says when one person gets saved, all the angels in heaven rejoice. There's a party up in heaven. Let's worship. Have communion. I think the Lord will give me, give me a good one on that. It's okay. So now we're going to go to the time of communion. This is for believers. Those of you who just got saved, you can take communion. It's a picture of the greatest act of love in all of human history. And when the elements are brought to you, I want to take a, a moment. I want you to do three things. Look back to remember the cross of Calvary and what Jesus did for you on the cross. The Lord told him, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So this is all about Jesus and his love for you. But not only look back to the cross, but look within. It says, be there any wicked way in me. Make this a time of, of self-reflection before the Lord. Lord, is there anything in me I need to confess? Come humbly before the cross. So not only look back to the cross, look within and examine your own heart, but look forward because the Bible tells us, Jesus told the apostles in the upper room that night that the next time they would take communion would be with him in heaven. So there's a day coming, we're gonna take communion in heaven. We ought to be looking forward to that, amen? amen. Lord, we thank you, we praise you now as we go to this time of, of worship. 
before you. This holy sacrament that we take, we come and we sit at your feet and we remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. May we take this time to spend it with you, not distracted, looking back to the cross, examining our hearts before you, and looking forward to heaven. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.